Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that it's Monday. I love Mondays, and I can't wait to spend these next couple hours together with you. I hope your weekend was good. I got my Bible open right now to Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 31, it says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I hope you've had a great day. I've got a great show for you. Patrick Albanese is going to be coming on in just a minute to get the thing, the show started. And then uh, the Monday afternoon mix will continue with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. And then hour two, I'll have a full hour with uh, Dr. Marcus Bachman. So that's what the plan is for today. I hope you are uh, excited as I am. I've got Patrick on the line, who's my guest uh, regularly on Mondays to get my week started. I always want to start off finding out what happened over the weekend in the news and in his life, and then also uh, just to get things uh, moving on a lighter note. Patrick, welcome to the show. Always uh, glad to be here, except that one time, which we don't talk about. I know. I remember that. I remember that one time. I do. I marked. Yes. I was chatting with you earlier today, and I, I was asking you about your weekend, and it sounded like you said to me, from what I can remember, you went to bed early, you didn't really leave your house, and you didn't go to any parties this weekend. So, yeah, yeah. Essentially, uh, you know, uh, all my childhood punishments are now my adult goals. You know, <laughs> the, 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 this, this, this stuff that your parents used to deprive you of, you say, oh, if I could only have that again. <laughs> right. How do you even punish a kid these days? You know, you, you, you can send them to their room, but they're, they're, they're hooked up. They have electronic devices. And, you know, I try to do that with my, like with my kids, you say, well, okay, well, we're going to disconnect your cable then. <laughs> That's <good. laughs> and Of course, 10 minutes later, you're knocking on the door. You're saying, could you come out here and show me how to work this remote? Cause I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to get the game on. And you realize, yeah. oh gosh, I can't even work this stuff without my kids. So uh, I can't disconnect their stuff for, because they'll say, <laughs> they're going to say, oh yeah, well, while I'm hooking that up, well, I'm getting you hooked up with the cable, Dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I don't think you could even cut them off. Yeah, yeah. So digitally is the way you punish them. You, you take their cell phone away, or you get their iPad from them, and you don't let them connect with their friends via uh, digital media stuff. Yeah, I remember for starters you know, anyway. The, for starters, for starters, remember the thing that you feared uh, that your parents would say the, the those words: "The I'm so disappointed in you." Remember, remember the fear of that happening. Well, yeah, the uh, fear it, of it happening, yes. Yes. You know, these days it's kind of like then the kids look at you and they go, and I in you. <laughs> For using that cliche old phrase <laughs> that your parents used on you that made you the mess that you are today. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, so, I'm, I have to say I'm very fortunate in that we haven't, run into it. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's something my wife did, not me, to raise our kids to the ages they are uh, so far without us having to sit down and have a, a talk about punishment. 
I, I have no idea how it's happened. It's, it's mm-hmm. magical so far. Um, Your kids yeah. are remarkably cooperative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they'll just, uh, you know, they do the occasional griping, but they pick that up from me. Right. You know, I can hear it in the tone of voice. Do I have to do it now? <laughs> Can't I do right. it later? Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, they'll go about taking the dog for his walk or doing the dishes or, you know, sometimes coming home from school and uh, my wife will write out uh, half a dozen post-it notes, you know, six notes for each of them with a chore on each. Mm-hmm. But she won't put names on them. And she says, you know, first one to pick, you know, you get to pick which ones you want. So I'd be quick to pick because if you don't pick and the other one picks, you're going to get stuck with the jobs maybe you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Brilliant system. I like, yeah. I like that system. Yeah. So you have spent a lot of time in Minneapolis where I live. And I thought, did you know that Minneapolis is home to the world's quietest room? <laughs> No pun intended, but I had not heard that. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's there, the world's quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's at it's at Orfield Labs in Minneapolis, and the chamber is so quiet you can hear your own organs. After thirty minutes, you'll begin to hallucinate, and the longest anyone has lasted inside is forty-five minutes. Well, after a particularly spicy meal, I can hear my own organs, too. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be all that quiet in the room. So you can hear your and and the longest someone has lasted is 45 minutes because they start to what happens? They go. Well, at at 30 minutes, you start to hallucinate. You cannot uh, stand being in a room so quiet. Isn't that interesting? Can you sing to yourself? Can you? I don't know what you do in that. I've not experimented with this place. I don't know what it really in, involves and how you get to spend any amount of time in there, but uh, it is this decked out room where there's absolutely no noise in it whatsoever. Oh my God. I mean, I, what if you just started, cl- I don't think I could last the 45 minutes. I could not amuse I don't think myself, I could either. but yeah. I'd like to borrow it for about 10 minutes. Just it's interesting to go in for five just to see what it feels like. But you know, the whole idea of trying to get quiet and, and quiet your your soul and your spirit and get alone with God. And you, you think, we say we want quiet, and I believe a lot of us do, uh, but it's difficult for us. We were so distracted. And, you know, why else would they put music in an elevator? Because you don't like to be alone with your thoughts. Especially in a small cage that's traveling through space <laughs> vertically. <laughs> On a thin cable, yeah, that's yeah. You know, if you just uh, can give me kind of a Muzak version of "Born in the USA," I should be okay in here. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm always amused because you go to an elevator and you look right at at the floor of it, and it says Otis, and you go, "Well, this Otis guy must have been, you know, pretty smart guy." You know, Otis didn't invent the elevator. Otis invented the elevator brake. Because, I mean, the person responsible for figuring out how to stop it is the guy that gets his name on the elevator. Right. Otherwise, the other, yeah, the other guy, Phil, <laughs> he said, I can yeah. get it to go up and down. I just can't get it to stop. Yeah. It's just a metal box that will plunge that. people. Right. Uh, oh, to the, my to the bottom so yeah so phil got off the uh his name never made it but otis's name did because he figured out the break 
Well, you know, it's funny. And, and when you like talking about the quiet room, yeah, right. An elevator would be well, or you would hear the sounds of the elevator operating, which could be disturbing. But mm-hmm. think about it when you would watch a movie. What's one of the things they they say when something really bad is about to happen? They say, you know, it's kind of quiet, too quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. They had that. It's too quiet. And you say something bad is about to happen. Maybe that's what happens (laughs) in that room. You go, it's kind of quiet in here. It's too quiet. (laughs) Yeah. But That's, you know, uh, we always talk about our quiet time. We always talk about how important it is to spend time with the Lord and get away. And you know, Jesus would do ministry. He'd do ministry, then he would disappear for a couple of days to go spend time with his Father. And obviously, he was around all kinds of ambient noises and all that. But my point is, uh, we are challenged by uh, quiet. And I just think yes. it's interesting that the the human side of us does not cannot stand absolute quiet where the chamber well, is so I, quiet, you can literally hear everything inside of you beating. Yeah. I, I, like I'll do a movie shoot or, uh, you know, any kind of, it could just be a commercial shoot. And then there will always be a moment where uh, it's usually toward the end after they've shot everything. Then they'll ask for complete quiet on the set. This is, it's actually almost, there's almost irony in it. They say complete quiet. And then they'll capture about 20 to 30 seconds of ambient noise. Hmm. Of just what the room sounds like when it's as quiet as it can be. And that is often something they'll add later because we, we're so used to it that even if we're watching a movie, we expect some sort of ambient noise. And if they just put the audio up as it was, perfectly captured with a close microphone but no background noise, it would be disturbing to us. Mm-hmm. They have to add the background noise. We, ha- we have to have it. It's, it's yeah. Sometimes if you find yourself... You know, out uh, where it's you know away from the city, you go out at night. You know, uh, you travel cross country sometimes. You just stop at uh, a place to lay down by the side of the road in your reclining chair, and you say, "Oh my gosh, it's too quiet! It's too <laughs> quiet out here." Yeah. So yeah. we like a little something, don't we? Yeah. We do like something, and God gave us these wonderful uh, ears and ability to hear f- for most of our life. I know sometimes the hearing starts to fade as you get a little bit older, um, but we're also thrilled that we hear other people's voices and we hear music. And uh, imagine what it's like when you're deprived of that. So, uh, well, uh, I'll bet you've because you've done a lot of cross country driving and you did it back before the days of satellite radio. And you you might have a cassette player in the car. But weren't there those periods of time where you say, oh, I'm in an area I can't get any radio signal. And I'm just going to turn everything off. And you had this most wonderful conversation with God yeah. in that quiet somewhere near Enid, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been to, I've been to Enid. Yeah. Where you're completely out of uh, radio signal and you, you're turning off the radio and you're just alone in, in a quiet car talking to God. And it's nothing like it. And it's wonderful. And you say to yourself, I must do more of this and then we don't. Yeah. But that complete quiet conversing with God, you hear things. You say, oh, wow. I, I, this is, what, is this what people mean when they say they, they heard God talking to them? Because yeah. my brain, my mind is filling up with things, and I'm, I'm having ideas that I never had before about you know, contemplating a Bible passage. Suddenly it's yeah. making a new kind of sense to me. Well, let's not get carried away with this concept, Patrick, because I want people listening to the radio in the car. So let's not, let's not take this out of, out of context here. Yes, but between words, 
there's silence. <laughs> exactly. Take that opportunity. Yes. Exactly. All right. Let me take a short break. Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines. We'll be right back in just a minute. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd that walk-up music belongs to Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. As we are getting our Monday started, it's always enjoyable to start things off on a lighter note. Patrick is uh, not only a comedian and a comic magician, but he is a, uh, a broadcaster and a podcaster, and he kind of does it all. So it's nice to have him with me on Mondays. And Patrick, you know, when I was thinking about uh, what the that, that you're ignorant of what you're ignorant about is uh, one of those thoughts that when you have it, you go, yeah, you're right. It's a blind spot. You, you don't know what you don't know. And how important it is it to get trained and equipped in God's word, because you don't ever want to be ignorant of any promise that God has for you, and you certainly don't want to be ignorant in any way of the glory of God's word, uh, because that's uh, something you can share with uh, everyone every day of your life. Yeah, and you know, it's um, Donald Rumsfeld was uh, f- famous for saying many things, I suppose, but uh, he he would talk about. Um, there are known knowns, things that we know that we know, and that there are known unknowns uh, that we we know there are some things that we don't know. We're aware of that. We're saying, I don't know much about that. He said, but there are the unknown unknowns, the ones that we don't know we don't know, and those tend to be the ones that we struggle with the most, uh, you know, for the, for the history of uh, free countries. But uh, even in our own personal lives, uh, you know, I think back to a time before I felt like my eyes were open to, oh my gosh, the Bible's real, and this message is real. And uh, there were so many unknown unknowns about it, and it was almost like a a fear of cracking it open to find out what I didn't know. It was just easier to not know. It was just, it felt safer to say, you know what, I think I know enough. I think I know enough because I do think we can fear being faced with the truth. Uh, I know I was it's like, well, what if it's right? You know, it's I. I then you're, I mean, if, then you're held you were, accountable to what you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what's what's scarier to say? Okay, go ahead, hit me with your best shot, and by the end of this, um, I know that I will be the one that was right and the Bible was wrong. Is that uh, more frightening than, okay, hit me with your best shot, and uh-oh, I was wrong. The mm-hmm. Bible was right. I think that's maybe the fear that some people have. Uh, it's like, yeah, don't give me your Bible. Don't, 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 don't talk to me about God or Jesus. I don't need to know that. It's, is, it, is it I don't need to know that, or I'm afraid to find out? I think because it's the latter. It's right, I think they're afraid to, yeah, I think they're afraid to find out. Yeah. I, well, I, I'll speak for myself. Uh, in retrospect, I realized I was afraid to find out. Yeah. I didn't think that was the case. I, I yeah. thought I was pretty darn clever. Yeah. You know? But when you're 
when you're uninformed, you're on a country road going 50 and the police officer pulls you over and you say, what's a country road? I thought I could sort of go as fast as I wanted. And he says, no, the actual speed limit's 15. So you're way off. He's not going to let you off the hook. Yeah, you say, he says wrong country. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's Germany. You can do that there. Yeah. Right. So being uninformed is is not going to help you. You're still going to have to face justice. True. But that's true whether you admit it's true or not. Exactly. Isn't it? Yes. And that that can be a, a frightening thing. But, you know, instead of just looking at the the oh boy, you know, aspect of it, I, I think the, the better thing, and it took me a long time to get here, is to look at the God's grace portion of it. Because there's a point in time where you come to realize, I, I can't make all this right without some grace. Right. I can't, I can't undo everything I've done. And I'm, uh, uh, you know, and I'm still at, at some point, um, making mistakes. It's, you know, I haven't gotten to a point in my life where I am mistake free from this point forward. Here we go. Yeah. You know, congratulations. It's, I have to also, you know, grasp the realization that, you know, I'm going to have a day here and there where I say, did it again or something new, something entirely new, you know, yeah. it you know, might just be the way that I, I deal with my, my children and say, I didn't do that right. I didn't do that in, in a loving way. I didn't do that in the way that God wanted me to. And I, I made a, a big mistake there. I need, I, I got to fess up to that one too. Uh Oh, yep. Sure. Do. I need some grace. Yeah, and lots of it on a daily basis. Yes. So, Patrick, Patrick, did you know, and I think I, I prompted you to know this, but the 2020 was the highest one-year increase ever recorded in overdose deaths, which is horribly tragic. Um, and yes. 93,000 uh, drug overdose, overdose deaths in 2020, and that was the highest one-year increase ever recorded. Now, having said that, it's very sad to think that there's a, an enormous number of people that are using drugs, depressed, um, looking for ways to change how they feel during this time of, of uh, COVID and all that. Yeah. But they're also dying from fentanyl overdose. And might you want to guess the number one drug being smuggled over the border? Well, I do feel like you've set me up. You've laid I the have. puck on the ice. Yep. You've increased the size of the goal by three times. And I've pulled you've the goalie. All, you pulled the goalie, and you gave me a big wedge of wood to just <laughs> um, five feet away. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on the limb and say fentanyl is Yeah, you the might drug. be right. Yeah, I might, might be, right. be right. Yeah. It's, it's, and uh, as I understand it, and, and you might have this uh, piece of information, isn't the majority of fentanyl overdose deaths are accidental because somebody was purchasing maybe something. They weren't buying straight fentanyl. They were buying something else that somebody put fentanyl in. Yes. So it comes across the border and then uh, somebody who markets drugs throws this in there to give whatever it is this person's buying some extra kick and it, and they kick the bucket is, is the sad thing. Not knowing that that's how that day was going to go. Oh my. yeah, this is why I, I'm always reminded there there is a sense of urgency with sharing the gospel 
and having conversations with people about hope because without hope, people will always turn to something that is going to be very self-destructive. And we have the hope in Christ that we share with others. They have a chance to find a joy that they've never known. Yes. Yes. You know, that's why would that message be unacceptable? Exactly. I mean, we yeah. all know that yeah. wonderful illustration Blaise Pascal uses about the God-shaped vacuum in everyone's uh, heart that it can only be filled by God. And if God is not in that space, you will try everything possible to fill that space uh, with drugs or sex mm-hmm. or uh, gambling or whatever it is that you're going to look for something to to occupy that space and it will never satisfy. It can't satisfy because right. it's 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 a piece that doesn't fit. It's it's you know using the drug reference. One of the things that happens with people using some of these synthetic drugs is it changes the lock key arra- um, setup in your own brain when it comes to things like endorphin release, your natural happiness endorphins, and the regular ways don't work anymore because you've altered the lock. The key doesn't fit right. anymore. But in that right. hole in your heart that Pascal's talking about, there is only one key. There's only one key that fits. You can try all these other ones. They don't fit. Yeah. Now, in God's grace and goodness, he will allow your brain uh, to heal and to repair if you go without those drugs or alcohol or whatever it is for a long enough period of time. Because when I do work with men in recovery, uh, they are so used to artificial dopamine releases from narcotics that Mm -hmm. when it comes to simple joys that would trigger normal uh, dopamine in most people. It just doesn't work for them. Yeah. Not for a while anyway. Not for a while. Not for a so while. that's, that's yeah. the really good news. If you've uh, suffered from an addiction and you, you find less joy in everyday things in life that, that God will repair your brain and give you a, a second, third or fourth or even fifth chance. Uh, it's, uh, I, I always say, uh, you know, that I've, I used to have things backwards. You know, I used to say, uh, if I got into a situation, I go, Oh, look what, look what, look at the situation God put me in. I I'll take it from here and get myself out of it. And I realize at one point, Oh, it's me that puts myself in that situation, but God is the one that can get me out of it. God can help me. It may not be in the way that I would desire, you know, because there, I, you know, if I've done something egregiously wrong, I'm going to have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but he will have a path. Yep. And, he always uh, does, you know, yeah. You and it I have seen does. people that have done uh, uh, some terrible things and they come out of it as long as they let God bleed. It's amazing. Yeah. Amen to that. Patrick, thanks yeah. so much for joining me today. I always look forward to our chats and I know um, I um, will see you soon once again. Yep. Yep. I'm going to go play some uh, mini golf. I got myself a caddy. He just offers me the uh, one yeah. club. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a blast. All right. Have a great yep. round and uh, good luck. Thanks. Yep. Bye. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, the Monday Afternoon Mix will continue. Pastor David Miles, we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to continue talking about vows. That's all coming up next.
time for the Monday afternoon mix. Pastor David Miles, also known as PDM and Rosie B. That's the team for the Monday afternoon mix. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Bill. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Rosie B., how are you? I am good. I still want to remember what we what did we open with a while ago? It was like something deep. Deep voices. Yeah, we always we always try the deep voices. Yeah. I know. I Kinda can't like, remember yeah. what we said. The berry. Because somehow berry we wife. think that makes it. Yeah. <laughs> somehow we think that, that makes right. it cooler. Yeah. So. Yeah. PDM, you can sort of knock it out of the park. You've got that deep voice. Yeah, I, I'm trying, but I know some people have some really deep voices, and you know, there's a couple of guys like my my um, in laws, uh, Leroy and Joyce Crumb. Like they love like Aethers. And mm. I remember going to going to one of their concerts and like one of the guys with the cathedrals, he had like this super deep voice. <laughs> I'm like, wow, yeah. that's like deep, you know. <laughs> well, whether your voice is deep or it is high, uh, it is in Matthew 5, talking about Jesus's words that say, all you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And this this context of this verse has to do with oath keeping or vows. So let's continue our discussion on vows today. How does that sound? That with sounds really good. I'm so excited because I think vows are some of those things that we do so absentmindedly and we have no idea of the kingdom effect that they can have in our own lives. But then on the other side, when we take vows and oaths under the sacraments of, let's say, marriage, we dismiss their power and their might often. Hmm. So I'm excited to come back into this topic. Well, Rosie, what's so neat about what you're saying is that the topic that we're getting into here in Matthew chapter um, 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, it comes after the discussion of lust and um, of marriage. And so, you know, in this section, uh, you could see that Jesus talks about the fidelity of marriage earlier on, and uh, when he talks about the need to, you know, to keep our word in marriage, and, and he points out these, this thing that happens with the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it say, but I say. And with the marriage thing, the Pharisees, they were preoccupied with the grounds of divorce, Jesus with the institution of marriage. The Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command, whereas Jesus called it a concession to the hardness of human hearts. And the Pharisees were, they were regarding um, divorce lightly, and Jesus was taking it seriously to the point of one, one exception, and that was unfaithfulness, which gets to the part of oaths. You know, the idea that he's talking about us not being unfaithful or practicing deceit with our words. That's a lot of wisdom, David. David's starting out, he's, he's starting out hitting on a Monday. <laughs> he's coming out strong. He is. You're, you're making us. You're making us not look as strong as we think we are. Oh, David. you guys are strong. I was just listening. I was just looking at David, just listening to him. Yeah, I was too. I was hanging on to every word there. Well, no, that's good. Well, we're in God's word, and that's that's the thing that we hang on to because it's it's a firm foundation. You know, um, if you if you want to like roll through a lot of things to just see how powerful and how instrumental um, the word is, go through Psalm one nineteen. And you can you can see the psalmist talk about his statutes are right and true and all together. And that, that's the thing that actually guides our thinking. It's God's gift to us to really filter uh, our thoughts and to be conformed to his thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, David, while you were just saying that, I was thinking of the law and how what Jesus was saying at that time is, you know it this way, but I'm telling you to follow my way. Yeah. And I'm just 
it's just occurring to me as we're talking that how we can both trump up the law to something that God never intended, but we also can um, just sift it down or dilute it to fit our own desires. And in either side, it's rebellious, right? Because we're we're saying the the truth of God isn't enough for us to stand on, or we and let's just be honest, we don't like it sometimes, right? Right. Yep. And so that's what Jesus was calling out, yes? Yes. Well, Rosie, you segue straight into our, our section here because, like, you know, Jesus says in verse 33, again, you have heard it, that it was said of those to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And actually, you know, in this passage is that this isn't even a fully, like, accurate you know, quote, what Jesus is, he's taking the summary of thought that the Pharisees had in their time. And uh, Moses, one of the things that he was emphasizing in Exodus 20, verse 7, in the, um, in the Ten Commandments about not bearing false witness and the like, because here's, here's the verses that gets uh, connected here. And I wanted to just read these because they're super powerful. Um, Exodus 20, verse 7 it's the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. Numbers 30 verse 2, when a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. And then Deuteronomy 23.21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not be slack in paying it. And so one of the things that John Stoddard notes is that this is not an accurate quote of any one law. It's, it's kind of a summary. And so the Lord is actually hitting upon the Pharisees. And, you know, Bill, last time we talked about it, it was kind of like, this is really kind of an interesting, um, you know, passage. Like, what, what is Jesus getting at? And so I did a little looking into it. And one of the things is that, um, these were prohibiting like false swearing or perjury, you know, making a vow and breaking it. And what the Pharisees did, because they didn't like it, as Rosie was just saying, um, they tried to restrict them. So what they did is they shifted people's attention away from the vow itself and, to, and the need to keep it to a formula. So they argue that what the law was really prohibiting was not the taking the name of the Lord in vain, but taking the name of the Lord in vain or false swearing. So that's, they were making this whole issue of not so much what it was, but saying, oh, what's the formula that you're using? Mm. And so Jesus actually shows his contempt for this later on in Matthew 23 when he gives out woes. And he says, you know, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for what is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And so the Pharisees were more focusing on, like, how do we do a formula that kind of gives a loophole for us to get out of things? And this, right. this helps to make sense when Jesus then says, you know, um, do not take an oath either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, 
or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't make an oath on your head because you can't make one hair white or black. Just let it simply be yes and no, and anything else comes from evil. Jesus is like, you guys have this formula, this way that you're trying to circumvent. And, I, and I'm saying, like, you know, first of all, it's all the Lord's. And simply when, when, they're, when they're making oaths, um, as A.M. Hunter says, oaths arise because men are so often liars. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, so, so Jesus is telling the crowd, I mean, not to break their oaths. And I would imagine they would sometimes make these oaths invoking God as their witness. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, you know, you know that crazy idiom that we have where you're talking to someone and you say to them, well, you know, to tell you the truth. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so were you planning on lying to me? You know, and I stop sometimes because I'm like, to tell you the truth. It's like, well, actually I was, I was planning to tell you the truth. So like, that's like, you know, just a part of our, our, our conversation. It's a you know, verbal crutch. Because yeah. people say, well, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you on this one. And you're less, and you go, why, do you, why are you saying that? You know, are you going to lie on other ones? Yeah. <laughs> but it is a verbal crutch. So David, I have a question. It's going back to this time that they were in where their word was their bond and they also did take a lot of oaths. I mean, there was so much that was happening at the gates as far as um, the legality of land and all those type of things. So had it just gone awry to such a high degree that Jesus was like, strip it all back? Well, it was probably more so that the idea that the people who should be keeping their oaths were not keeping their oaths. Ah. And instead of just coming clean and being like, yay, I'm not keeping my oath. Hey, why don't we make a new formula? So that if you, if you say it this way, then it's not really keeping. Um, Rosie, it's kind of like the, the one girl who said, um, Mama says it's not gossip if your head is bowed and your hands are folded when you're talking about somebody. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Or, yeah, it's good luck if you put your, you know, cross your fingers behind your back or, you know, yeah. then it's not a lie. Okay. Yeah. And so Jesus was kind of getting at the various ways that the Pharisees were often, as he, he would say, you know, you're, you're putting the weight upon another person and you yourself are not doing that. You know, you travel the globe to make, you know, one of yours a follower of you and you make them more person of hell than, than beforehand. And so, yeah, it's, it's really kind of a, a wild way of which, we can seek to circumvent or we can seek to say, like you said earlier, Rosie, I don't really like this. So Mm -hmm. how do I rework this um, to make it say something other than it does? I feel like that's very cultural to us today with the, you know, just the diluting of the gospel message and all the different theories that are out there. And I think people want it their way, you know, and and it's a human condition. And Jesus is directly saying, I've got a better way. Yeah, and, and the idea of remaking God into our to, to our own image, you know, and you know, uh, someone said, you know, you've made God in your own image when He hates all the same people and dislikes all the same things that you do. Mm. That's profound. Yeah. So the the acceptable oath is when you raise your right hand and place the other one on the Bible, promising to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I go. I guess that's an oath that's okay. Yeah, um, 
One of the things I was reading there, and I think it was John Stott, was noting that it it wasn't to say not to make any oaths, you know, at all. Like, those were completely bad. Because like what Rosie said earlier, Bill, when we, we make an oath or a covenant um, in marriage and in other things, that, that's that's an important thing, you know. Um, I think it's getting to the issue of, um, you know, what's going on in our heart. I mean, the Anabaptists actually... It was noted had practices that they wouldn't even, um, you know, take an oath in the 16th century, and, and most Quakers, um, you know, don't to try to avoid compromising that. You know, I'm saying I don't want to compromise on that. So, um, you know, that's not the point. Um, so one of the things is that, uh, again, pointing back to just a note from John um, Stott was saying what Jesus was emphasizing in his teaching was that honest men do not need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some external authority to do so. The modern application is not far to seek, for the teaching of Jesus is timeless. Swearing, i.e. oath-taking, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises by some tremendous formula? I swear by the archangel Gabriel and all the hosts of heaven, or I swear by the Holy Bible. The only reason is that we know our simple word is not likely to be trusted. You know, and so, I mean, like, Bible, hand on Bible or not, as believers, we're called to speak truth. So, and not bring Amen. those things. Yeah. And I think we'll take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about making oaths or vows without understanding what the consequences are. I think of the uh, story of of Jephthah. Um, We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Monday Afternoon Mix. We've got Pastor David Miles, PDM, Rosie B., and I. Be right back. Afternoon mix, Pastor David Miles, PDM, yeah. Rosie B. We're all talking about vows today. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Scripture keeps it simple, uh, and make sure that you are when making vows or oaths that so you understand what the consequences are. I was thinking of uh, Jephthah, who you know before leading the Israelites into battle, um, you know made a vow that he would you know give to the Lord whoever came out of the doors to meet him when he returned home as the victor. And I'm sure he was thinking that a large animal was going to come out of the door and instead his daughter came out. So make sure you understand what the consequences are to your vows and your oaths. Yeah, I mean, it's really a powerful thing when we think about the words that we say and even, um, you know, the things that we put out there. And uh, many people have said, hey, you know, I'm making this oath to never do or... You know, if you give me X, I will give you my life. And sometimes, you know, they're they're handing it over. I know a young man who had called me and he said that uh, he had a situation a few weeks ago 
where he was like, fine, God, I, I don't care anymore. And he's, he said, you know, I want nothing to do with you and, and fine, you know, I, I give up on you and I, you know, devil do whatever you want to. And literally this young man's life got shaken horribly um, to the point that it, it scared him because the very realness of spiritual warfare became such a powerful thing. And he called out to Christ and this, this young man had been praying for him, walking with him, and to watch the change that's happened in his life um, has been profound. But he said, I kind of made this oath to say that I want to live on my own terms, God, and I don't need you and get out of my life. Wow, that that's so scary. And those are the oaths, David, that I think in general, just in our human nature, we don't understand the significances of, right? We say things very casually and, you know, the fruit of life and death are on our tongue. And it is often our tongue is a representation of where our heart is and our alignment to God. And so those are the things, there's so many times, you know, growing up out here, God willing, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'll arrive tomorrow, God willing. And as I got older myself and realized the intention of that, that is so true. God willing, you don't smoke. God willing, you don't become an alcoholic. God willing, you know, um, you find the person and you will that you're supposed to marry and that you will stay in that marriage, you know? So there's just so much more about him in what we say and our own rebellion. I think often when we're making oaths, not always, but often. Yeah. You know, um, some things we're saying, we don't even realize they're oaths. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, George Wallace had once stood up and he said in a speech, you know, he said, today I've stood where once Jefferson Davis stood and took an oath to my people. It is very appropriate to them that from this cradle of the Confederacy, the very heart of the great Anglo-Saxon Southland, that today we sound the drum for freedom as we have our generations of forebears before us done time and time again. Let us rise to the call of freedom, loving blood that is in us, and send our answer to the tyranny that clanks its change upon the South." In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And so those those were the words words of Governor, you know, George Wallace. And, you know, that um, he said, look, I'm making an oath on this. And, you know, the ramifications of this you know, are huge because like I think of my mom, she marched in the civil rights. And so knowing that, you know, and this might be a little bit of a hard statement to, to swallow, but you know, that it's out there. And if, if you go past all the talking head stuff and actually read the, the documents that are pertaining, that pertain to life in prison and the statements are people knew kind of the election story that's going around that, it didn't take liberals to say this. Other other conservatives that we support acknowledged this wasn't true. And there are there are things that my mom she marched and was assaulted and beat for to give her life for, and those 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 freedoms are being eroded as across our nation people are passing election laws based on something that in things that aren't true. And so you have people having a perception through their oaths and their commitment to this way of life that causes, say, a Josh McDowell, who mm-hmm. recently got up and said some things about black people don't care about education. I don't know what black people he knows, but in my family, education was a non-negotiable. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And so, so there's some things that are happening that is, you know, deeply, deeply, you know, um, discouraging and sad. And so when called on that, he came back and said, you know, I made these statements that sin in the Bible is only individual. It's not corporate, which that's not true. Okay. Um, and that also that if, if people were to work, if black and African-American people were to work as hard as I did and have the privileges that I had, and if they cared about education, you know, then maybe they could do something with their, with their lives, but they didn't. So the backlash came on that. And uh, he then released a statement. And this was at the Orlando Conference for the American Association of Christian Counselors. And he was speaking to a group and he was issuing the five great threats, epidemics. And the number one that he he launched with was critical race theory. And so he's talking about this thing with blacks and black families. He makes a statement. It comes back and people say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And he writes an apology and he says, listen, I I don't believe the statements that I made. Those statements that I made don't reflect my beliefs. Well, the question is, whose beliefs do they reflect? I'm a pastor. I write messages. And we don't just willy-nilly put stuff down, especially if you're given a five-point message. And so out of one of your five points had this statement in it. So my concern is this, number one, that you don't believe the statements that you wrote and believe. And then at the opposite end is that, so you, are you telling me that you got up and you willingly made false statements to a group of counseling leaders from around the country that you don't believe in? And so the ramifications of that um, is huge. And guys, I'm, I'm, seriously, I'm seriously baffled um, by this. But part of it is, you know, a willingness to capitulate from our biblical call as Christianity and as Christians, and to start accepting mindsets and thinking, that's not, that's not correct. For me, it's about Jesus. And so it doesn't matter to me whether a Democrat or a Republican president, if you tell over 30 lies, 30,000 lies, and if you want to cut it down to 3,000, that's fine. And that's your own party saying it. If Christians say it's a non-issue, that's a problem. It is, because the only oath of allegiance that we make is to Jesus Christ, to no one else, no one else. And so, you know, there's a lot of oaths and promises that, we're, that people are making, and we need to be mindful because Jesus fairly clearly said, every word spoken, we will have to give an account for. So... We only have a couple of minutes left as we, you know, Jesus always spoke about the kind of, you know, spontaneous, you know, vows that people make. We usually, usually they preface it with something like, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles uh, or I, I cross my heart and hope to die. Have you ever made vows like, have you ever said that kind of stuff? I think when I was younger, I did. Sure. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. When you're young. When, yeah. when you're young. But I think when you're young, it opens the door to other things. Like we, Jesus even grew in stature and wisdom. And, you know, I just, I think it's, it's the responsibility of in our Christian walk to know the word, to know what Jesus, who Jesus is, to what, he, to how he stood and what he represents as um, David was speaking earlier so that you don't 
fall prey to false narratives and thinking that, you know, one thing is better than the other when Jesus, you know, God literally says we are all under yeah. his tent, right? And and Jesus address he's addressing, you've heard it say, but I say unto you. And Bill, to that point, sometimes we say, I swear on a stack of Bibles, or you, you'd hear in some movie, I swear on my grandmother's grave, you know, right. or something like that. But but there's something that is, you know, our, our, our statements are implicit and explicit covenants of truthfulness and responsibility. Uh, David Gushy in his book, um, the, uh, you know, in uh, Kingdom Ethics, notes the social contract theory that Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, we will claim that the various spheres of our lives should be interpreted and understood in terms of the covenants that are crucial for their very existence, for the basic trust necessary for a healthy society and for human flourishing and in the direction of the reign of God. Like we have social contracts, like, you know, we know that it's not kosher for lying because when someone lies to us or someone doesn't keep their word to us, we don't need someone to say, well, I didn't say to you, I promised on a stack of Bibles I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like we we kind of know from some things yeah. on that. So I think I, I think the principle is pretty clear for Christians. You know, be careful about making vows either to the Lord or to one another. Um, that's all the time we have for the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to spend a full hour with Dr. Marcus Bachman, who, by the way, was at that conference. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.